Good morning. How is everybody today? Uh, Today is the first time that I get to use this awesome new stand, and I cannot tell you how excited I am because it's actually my size. (laughs) Um, I didn't know it when I walked up and I sat down. I was like, oh, I don't have to reach way up here to try to read or do something with it. So I'm super excited. However, the earpiece is apparently not my size, and Mark has gigantic ears. So we have tested it a little differently because I could not get it small enough to fit me. So I think we're good as far as the mic is concerned. Um, but just in case you can't hear me at any point, just wave at me or something, and I'll see if I can adjust the mic. Um, before I forget, Kidmo, you can go. So if you are new to Journey and you have a kid from kindergarten to fifth grade, we have a child's area that they do teaching in there, and you're welcome to accompany your child. If you want to see the space, somebody out there can help you. Um, but uh, I think that's Kidmo. Um, if you guys don't know me, my name is Stacy Hill, and I'm the small group director here at Journey, and occasionally I slip in and preach. And so um, today I'm preaching because Mark's out of town, and um, you know, unlike Wendy, I don't really get too nervous speaking in front of crowds, but I do get really nervous when I preach the Word of God. And um, I usually have about a month to prepare, and Mark asked me last week, hey, can you preach next week? And I'm like... Um, Sure. And then by Monday, I was like, Mark, I don't know what I was thinking telling you I would preach this weekend. So so here we are. If it goes really bad, blame me. If it goes really, really good, just give glory to God because there's no way that I would have been able to pull this off on my own. Um, anyway, so uh, we've been in a series called David, and of course that means we're going through the life of David. Last week, Mark talked about confidence and how our confidence Talk gives us the ability to face our fears. And one thing that he said that really impacted me was that faith changes the way you see your challenges. And I thought, that is so true, because if we have faith that something's going to work out, we usually enter it and we're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like, if we're playing a game and we know that we're better than the other team, we walk in there full of confidence, kind of bragging, we've got that swag, and the other team is a little bit intimidated. But if we're walking in and we are thinking, oh my goodness, That team is so good. I just don't know how this is going to go. We're already setting ourselves up for potential failure. And so I think Mark was really poignant when he said, faith changes the way you see your challenges. And as I thought about that last week, I thought, there's really so much more to this story, so much more to this idea of confidence and a lot more depth than we typically get an opportunity to see when we look look at the life of David and we talk about David and Goliath. Most of us are completely familiar with the story of David and Goliath. And we usually look at it as the little guy against the big guy and how the underdog wins, which is completely true. And the amount of faith that David had when he fought Goliath because of his faith in the Lord, absolutely true. But there's so much here that I wanted to go back and talk about this story again And see if we can look at the underlying tones and the underlying spiritual principles that we might not see right off the bat. Um, A few weeks ago, I was looking at my Facebook, which I don't do very much anymore, but one of my old posts with Leslie came up. And um, if you guys know Leslie, she's just super fun, exciting, and incredibly, incredibly creative. And so she's fun to hang out with, really just makes me laugh, and um, really is not afraid to be herself. 
And so one morning, she knew that I had been wanting to go and take pictures. And so one morning, she and I got up really early. Like, I was like, I really don't want to get up before the sun. But it'll be worth it because it's Leslie. And so we went downtown. And it was super cold. You're right, Leslie. It was super cold. Um, And the sun was just rising uh, as we started to take pictures. And we were goofing off. And Leslie loves to take shadow pictures. She loves to get her subject and have them do different things while she's taking pictures. And so the picture that popped up on my Facebook page was me showing her teach. That's what she titled it, Stacy showing me teach. And um, I was like, that's so cool, because really when you look at it, you can, you can tell that it's me. Um, you might not know it was me if you didn't know it was me, but you can tell that it's me. And... <laughs> um, you can kind of see that I'm doing a little something like teaching in the picture. And that's kind of what's happening here with David and Goliath. David is what we call a type, a Christ type. And the word for Christ type is shadow, casting a shadow. And so when we look at David and Goliath, what we see is a casting a shadow of Christ who's going to be coming in the New Testament. And um, one definition that I found is, is a little wordy, but stick with me here because it's also very good. A type is a real exalted happening in history, which is divinely ordained by the omniscient God to be a prophetic picture of the good things which he purposed to bring to fruition in Jesus Christ. And I thought that's so perfect. Just like we stand and we cast a shadow saying that shadow represents who we are, David and Goliath also represents a shadow And that shadow is representing Christ and who he is and what he's going to do when he comes in the New Testament time period. And so hopefully this morning we'll get a glimpse of that. And what I really want us to look at is our warrior king. And hopefully as we get a picture of who he is, we'll be able to be um, emboldened to move forward in battle with him. So I'm going to read scripture out of order. Stick with me a little bit. It'll be up there, but I have a purpose in it. So in 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 37, it says, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Now, understanding that this story is a shadow of Christ that is to come, you might already be seeing the parallels here. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. And that's what we have here. We have a lion and a bear representing the devil who is seeking to devour the lambs, us, who are out wandering. Maybe we're lost. Maybe we just don't know what's going on, but we're the lambs. And David represents Christ, the one who's going forth into the mouth of the lion, pulling us out of his snare 
and rescuing us from our lostness. We continue in 1 Samuel. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. This is talking about Goliath now. Why do you come out and draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David, a youth, unsuspecting, unknowingly unknown, is not predicted to win the battle against this giant. But he has faith and he has courage, and he goes and he fights anyway. I don't know if you guys remember back sometime in the fall, there was a video, well, a movie called Hacksaw Ridge about a man named Desmond Doss who has Chattanooga connections. And it's about him fighting uh, in Okinawa and how his bravery um, in an unorthodox way really impacted lives around him because he refused to go into battle bearing arms. So he served as a medic. Um, So I want to show a little clip from that movie.
You're going home, Desmond. We've taken Hacksaw. What you don't see in this clip is that prior to attacking the ridge, while Desmond was in training, he was attacked by the men of his own battalion. They ridiculed him. They beat him. They didn't believe that he was worthy to go into battle with. The soldiers weren't perfect. They were far from it. They, were, they didn't believe he was worthy because they, of his unorthodox commitment and actions. They didn't want to follow him into battle because he refused to fight with, with the weapons of soldiers. Not only did the individuals in his unit treat him with disdain, but the power of the entire United States Army set out to prosecute him. Yet, without wielding a weapon, Desmond Doss saved the lives of 75 men. 75 men. What I didn't read this morning was that for 40 days and nights, what does that remind you of? 40 days and nights, Goliath, this menacing, intimidating, raging beast of a man, taunted the Israelites, and not a single soldier in the entire army was willing to go up against him. This terrifying enemy of God and man represents the devil, of course, who was, and it's the devil who's seeking to bring us into captivity. That's what Goliath said, right? I'll win, you can serve us. David, standing against Goliath, represents Jesus standing against Satan. Goliath taunted a nation, and David boldly entered battle. Satan taunts us. And like Desmond Doss, Jesus consistently scales the ridge and pulls us to safety time and time again. Desmond saved 75 without ever picking up a gun. David, slinging stones, rescued an entire nation. And our king, our soldier, our unlikely warrior, Jesus, who by his uncommon, unexpected, and unorthodox means, rescued the world. I love that moment there when he says, you're going home, Desmond, we've taken Hacksaw. Because we can sit there and we can go. We know the battle is won because Jesus has taken the world. Jesus won that battle on the cross. And we have to have this picture of Jesus winning the battle seared into our hearts and minds because whether we recognize it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, we live in a daily, ongoing battle. In a battlefield with active minds just waiting to be stepped on. And knowing Christ as our warrior drives us to dependence on him. Just like when David stepped on that battlefield to face Goliath, his dependence was on the Lord. And our battles are different for each and every one of us, but they all have the same theme or themes running under them. So today I'm going to take a look at three types of battles we face, and then I'm going to look at some of the ways we can fight those battles. Because it's imperative, knowing that we are in battle, what we're facing, and how to fight. One of the first battles that uh, we fight is a battle against Satan. Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4, says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Satan is ruling right now, and we cannot deny that he is ruling. But he has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. We're very familiar with Ephesians 6, 
says, Stand firm against the schemes of the devil, for the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It doesn't matter what face, what battle you're facing right now. There is an underlying tone that Satan is behind it, and we have to be armed and ready to engage. But not only do we face Satan as someone who is attempting to attack us, but we also fight the world. How many of you just wake up ready to go? Because you know that it's just going to be the absolute perfect day. Everything's going to work out exactly right. Your children are going to be obedient. The kids at school are going to, going to do what you've asked them to do. Nobody's going to cuss at you. And uh, you got plenty of sleep the night before. That's really not us, is it? Most of us wake up ready to go knowing that it's going to be a rough day. But we've got to be armed and ready. And so the world is something that we also have to fight. First John two fifteen through 17 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful, boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. There's three things that the world attacks us with, the lust of the flesh. This is the desire to do, desire to do things that we shouldn't be doing or the things that we physically crave, sex, drugs, alcohol, gluttony. You can put anything in there that you want to as far as the things that we crave. The lust of the eyes is covetousness. It's the desire to have something we don't have. Somebody else has, whether it be car, a job, a house, a spouse. It can be anything, but oftentimes we look at somebody else's life and says, I want that in my life. And God is saying that that's a lust of the world and our eyes is what we're desiring. And then it says the boastful pride of life. This one is always kind of tricky to me, but I think this one is the desire to be, to be better than we are, to be better than someone else, to make ourselves more valued than someone else rather than choosing to make them more valuable than ourselves. And oftentimes, the things of this world are not really all that bad. It's okay. It's natural to have some of those cravings like eating, okay? It's natural to crave being with someone you love. The, the problem is we often pursue them in the wrong ways. The third thing that we often battle against is a battle against our flesh. And this is extended from above. And um, the battle of the world assaults our internal sin nature. There are things that we are inherently set against that we're going to have to fight, at, fight against. You know, like, it's not a big deal for me to want to eat carrot cake, but I love chocolate chip cookies. I'm going to give you a little story in a minute. But somebody else may want carrot cake and I want chocolate chip cookies. So all our battles are different. But what we see in 1 Peter 2 is a command that says, Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. We think oftentimes that these are no big deal. It's not a big deal that we face or give in. But it is a huge deal because it says, Abstain because they wage war against your soul. We're very familiar with the passage in Romans 7 where it said, Paul is saying, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. But we stop there a lot of times and say, yeah, he's, he's conflicted. But if you read on down in the passage in verses 21 through 23, Paul says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me. 
the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Our familiarity with this passage often causes us to overlook that the battle of the flesh is a battle or an assault against our minds. For me, this is the hardest battle. Just about everything is a battle in my mind for me. Whether it's a battle of the flesh or a battle against Satan or a battle or temptation coming from the world, it always starts in my mind. And I hate it because it, it exacerbates my flaws and it continually reminds me of my weaknesses. And I hate admitting that I'm weak. The major problem here with spiritual warfare isn't that we don't believe it exists. Most of us would say, yeah, sure, spiritual warfare exists out there. Our biggest problem is that we don't take it seriously in regard to our personal everyday lives. We just don't take it seriously. But Satan, masquerading as an angel of light, is the master the master at deducing our weaknesses and exploiting our sin nature. The battles against Satan and our flesh bookend the battle against the world. Satan uses the things of this world to attack us in the natural weaknesses of our flesh. Okay? So the world kind of is in the middle. Our flesh succumbs to the world, and Satan uses the things of the world to attack our flesh. So let me give you an example um, I really do like chocolate chip cookies. Um, Chocolate chip cookies might be my favorite dessert in the world, and they don't even have to be, like, really fancy chocolate chip cookies. Um, I'm content with the chocolate chip cookies that break apart from Walmart, the Walmart brand, like, super content with those. They're really, really good, and I would take them over just about any other dessert any day. I don't really care for carrot cake, okay? I've, I've, you set a carrot cake down in front of me and I'm not tempted to eat it at all. Occasionally, I'll be like, maybe it'll be good this time. And I'll take a bite, you know, and be like, yeah, that's not good. And I'll remember why I don't like carrot cake, you know, and so I don't know what that is. But that would be that worldly temptation of setting that cookie plate down or setting the carrot cake down. If you put a plate of cookies in front of me and I was the only one there... I would probably be tempted to eat the whole plate of cookies. And the only thing that might stop me is knowing that I either have to share those cookies with somebody else or I get make myself sick in the process of eating them all. But I'm not going to do that with carrot cake. Carrot cake, I'll just pass up every time. But our battles aren't usually about cookies, are they? Our battles typically are way much more difficult than that. Maybe it's addiction, rejection, loss of a job, dot, dot, dot. Put your own battle in there. I know a lot of you, and I know what some of your battles are, but I don't know everybody, and chances are, even if I know you and I think I know what your battle is, you've got a battle that you're not telling anybody about. That's just the way it works. But here's the best thing about fighting battles. We can train ourselves in battle for war. And not only can we be trained, but our training can give us hope because we have weapons that are not common, that are unorthodox, that are unusual and unexpected. 
and we have weapons that are divinely powerful to fight. Most of you know that I like to run and train, and Herman likes to run and train, and right now the NBA Finals are going on, right? Like, the Warriors are playing. And I'm not a huge NBA fan, but watching the Warriors play is really quite astounding. But it doesn't matter whether you're training for a running race, training for a triathlon, or getting ready to go and fight on the basketball court for the NBA championship. Everybody trains. Everybody gets prepared. Nobody walks into that match or onto that course not ready to run the race in which they're going into. And that's what God is saying. Is he's saying, you're going to have a battle. You're going to have to fight, but I'm giving you the war- weapons that you can fight with. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. Divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We have weapons that we can fight with, and we don't have to be afraid, but we can have hope in knowing that when we face those battles and we face those things in our lives that are hard and looks like we cannot overcome, we have a way to fight. One of the most common places to look is Ephesians 6. I'm not going to spend much time here at all. This would be a whole sermon on its own, and we simply don't have time. Um, But it says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We've got to put on the things that protect us in battle. We've got to know the truth. We've got to act in righteousness. We have to be ready to share the gospel of peace with Jesus. We have to have a shield of faith that can protect us when people are attacking us. And more than anything else, we have to have the word of God, the sole truth in which we can rest our minds. But not only do we have to put on the armor of God, we actually also have to do some things. You know, a lot of people will read that Ephesians 6 passage and they'll say, well, the only weapon that God gives us to fight with is the Word of God. That's the only one that's mentioned in Ephesians 6. And I suppose that's true if you're looking at Ephesians 6. But there are a couple of other things that we can do to prepare and go into battle. And those next two kind of run into together. First of all, we've got to resist Satan. James 4, 7, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't know what that looks like in everybody's lives. That's really vague to me, and I like to be specific. So I don't know what that looks like in your life. But sometimes you know that you're being attacked, and you simply have to resist. Additionally, we have to resist temptation. 2 Timothy, I'm going to go back, Ethan, so don't skip here. But 2 Timothy says, flee from youthful lusts. got to flee. And that's an element of resisting temptation. Corinthians says the same thing about fleeing when you're tempted. And there are three things that I think are important when we talk about resisting. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. In order to resist, you've got to get good friends. 
You've got to have people who are willing to walk with you and challenge you and push you in the right direction. You've got to get good friends. Second, in Proverbs 22, 3, we see that we've got to get a plan. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. You know the battle that you're facing. You know the places where you're tempted and weak. You know what's coming up in your life. You've got to have a plan. You've got to see the evil ahead of you. You've got to prepare for the evil ahead of you. You've got to have a plan around that, whatever that looks like. Porn is a real easy one to talk about, right? Like, if you know that you're addicted to porn on the computer, then put your computer in a living room so everybody can see that you're on it, and there's even software that helps you watch the sites, right? Like, that's an easy plan of attack for something where you know you might fail. Finally, it says, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You've got to get good friends. You've got to get a plan. And then sometimes you simply got to get out. Sometimes you're in a situation where you feel like you're ambushed and you know that failure is imminent. And Jesus says, it's okay to run away. You probably cannot run away forever. I don't think you can always run away. But there are times when you're in that moment where it says, get out, flee. Finally, or fourth thing that we can talk about is renewing our minds. We saw above in the battle that the attack on our minds is a huge part of our struggle in the battle of our flesh. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We all know that. Here's the thing. I think every battle starts here. I think every battle starts in our mind. Now, I've already admitted this tends to be my weaknesses, so, you know, maybe I could be wrong about that. But for me, every battle starts here. It starts with what we're thinking about. Because what we think about determines what we believe. And what we believe determines how we behave. And in order to battle right, we have to believe right. In order to believe right, we have to think right. And the only 100% trustworthy thing to think on is the Word of God. There's a lot of truth in this world. There's a lot of truth in this world that doesn't matter. But when it comes to fighting the battles that we face every day, this right here, the Word of God, is the only thing that we can trust 100% of the time. It will never lead us wrong. It will never lead us astray. I love Philippians 4. I learned this when I was teaching camp, and uh, one of the guys called it thorple. Okay, it's a weird word. But in Philippians it says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, and excellent, think upon these things. I thought, thorple works for me. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and excellent. I got that. And that's what's here. Everything that is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and excellent is right here. So when you're fighting that battle in your mind and you don't know where to turn, just open the Word. And since we're in David, if you really don't know where to go, go to the Psalms. One of the men that we know fought many battles of his life, both physical and mental and emotional, sin temptations, the Psalms will speak to you in those times when you really are fighting for the battle in your mind. The fifth thing that we can do is obey. I think obedience is where we execute our training. 
Second Corinthians 10, 5 says, Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The battle in our mind moves us toward obedience. But even this drive toward obedience is God's work within us. I love this passage in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. It says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be be careful to observe my ordinances. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is a hard one because most of us, when we look at our lives, we know that we're not perfectly obedient. But God is not looking for perfect obedience. That's glorification, and it's not going to happen until we reach heaven. He's also not looking for rigid obedience. He's not looking for our ability to legalistically earn our salvation. It's not possible because we're not perfect. Instead, Jesus is looking for an obedience motivated by love that flows from a new heart. I think obedience is an incredibly overlooked weapon of war. We forget that sometimes just being obedient is the battle or the way to fight. But sometimes, many times, I think the battle itself is actually obedience. It's incredibly difficult to move forward into battle when everything within us is screaming and rebelling against it and wants something else. If it were easy to do, everybody would obey. If we always wanted to obey, we would always walk in the path that God is asking us to do. But most of the time, we're rebelling from the innermost core of our being and really rebelling in a, like a childish tantrum way, screaming and crying on the aisle of the grocery store because mom or dad won't buy us ice cream. That's really how we look at it a lot of times, I think. So sometimes obedience is the weapon, but sometimes obedience is the actual battle. Um, this clip that I'm about to show is actually in between the, the two pieces of the clip I showed you earlier. So Desmond Doss saved the 75, and then you see them bringing him his Bible at the end. This clip goes in between there. So, you see, here he is, standing in front of an army of men, and they're just waiting for him while he stands there and plays. What has happened is, he's already risked his life. He's already pulled men from the battle. He's already rescued them. And the rest of the military knows it. The rest of the unit says, that man showed more faith, more courage, than any of us in this battle, risking his life time and again without even wielding a weapon. And they're not going back into battle without him. And you see the commander there, who is this guy? Why aren't you making a move 
towards this battle, and they say, we're not going without him. And that's where we have to be. When we come and we look at who Christ is and the battles that we face, we have to be at a point when we realize that we're not willing to go into battle without Jesus. You know, I really wish my battles were cookies. I really wish, you know, that that's all it was. And I bet you do too. I bet that you wish that the things that you were facing each and every day were easy, that easy. And maybe for some of you, it is. And if it is, I really um, am thankful for that. But that's not the case. Most of our battles have huge implications for our bodies, our minds, and our relationships, including our relationship with God. Most of us are standing at the bottom of the ridge, and we know that we have to climb it and fight. And not only do we know that we have to scale the ridge, we know that when we get to the top, it's going to be scary, it's going to be bloody, and the risks are great. However, our warrior king gives us the confidence that we never enter the battle alone. And we begin to adamantly refuse to go into battle without him. Perhaps the most amazing thing is that he always, always, always goes into battle for us, regardless of the circumstances. It didn't matter to Desmond that his fellow army men ridiculed him, brutalized him, didn't trust him. It didn't matter. He still went into battle for him. And when he could have climbed down that ridge and saved himself and not worried about individual injury, he stayed and went back time and time again. And that's what Jesus does for us. He fights for us all the time. When we're that wandering lamb who has either wandered off on our own, or maybe we're staying with the flock and have just been attacked among the flock, Jesus, like David, still comes to us cries open the lion's mouth and pulls us from his snare. He also refights for us when we're the rebellious nation who's rejected him. What you might not know and might not understand about this situation with David and Goliath and the Philistines against the Israelites is that the Israelites had blatantly, openly rejected God. Because up until Saul came into the picture, God was their king. God was their leader. God was the one who led them. And they knew this. They knew the story of Moses rescuing the Israelites or the Hebrews from Egypt. They were not unaware of who God was and what he had done, but they just didn't care anymore. God wasn't using the weapons they thought he should use. God wasn't acting in the way that he thought they thought he should act. And so they said, we need a king. A man for a king, not God for a king. And they outright rejected God. And sometimes that's us. Sometimes we're that nation who has chosen to reject God and chooses to our own king, whatever it may be. 
Jesus isn't only the one who pries open the mouth of the lion and pulls us from the snare, but Jesus is the one, the only one, who stands before the giant and crushes his head. If you're not familiar with Genesis 3, that's where that comes from. In Genesis 3, God sets up the whole story after the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned. Jesus, God says, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. That is another foreshadowing of what is to come in the fact that Satan will win for a little while. He'll win a few skirmishes here on earth. But ultimately, when Jesus turns around, he will crush the head of Satan and bring about victory. And that's what he did on the cross. That's when he crushed the head of Satan. That moment when the soldier says, you're going home, Doss, we've taken the ridge. That's the moment that we can look back on in our battles and say, we got this, Jesus has taken the ridge. He's already won it for us. And it's because of this, because Jesus, that a person or man, woman, after God's own heart, can stand before the taunting traitor ready to fight. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's just the hardest thing for me, is knowing that i got to get up and fight. Sometimes I'm just too tired. You know, I don't, I don't want to fight anymore. Maybe you're in that boat too. Maybe every morning you get up and you battle and you have a fight that you don't want to fight anymore. I get it. Hang in there. Know the weapons that you fight with. Know that you've got the armor of God that will protect you when you need it. Know that you have the ability to resist sin, through Satan, resist Satan and resist temptation by getting good friends and getting a plan and getting out when necessary. Know that you have the word of God that can transform your mind to fight the battle and then just keep being obedient. One step at a time, just keep being obedient. And then if you need somebody to tangibly walk alongside of you in that battle, you can probably look around. I will tell you that the people here at Journey are some of the best people I have ever been around in my entire life. I can tell you I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the people here at Journey. So if you're new here and you're not connected and you're fighting a battle and you need somebody to walk with you, let us know. I don't think Mark or Scott are here this morning, but David is here and I'm here and we've got others here that are willing to walk alongside of you. Just talk to somebody. We'll fight with you. Because when you come and you ask us to fight with you, you're not asking people who don't know what it's like to be in the battle. Our battles may be different, but they're battles nonetheless. If you happen to be a lucky one who's not fighting a big battle right now, look around. 
chances are the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, or maybe the person that you work with tomorrow at work. Chances are somebody around you is fighting a battle. And somebody needs you to come alongside them and fight the battle with them. Be ready. Be ready to fight with them. I hope that's where you are because battles suck. I'll just say it. Battles suck. But we have the ability to fight because we have the one true and only warrior king. Will you pray with me? Jesus, it is absolutely amazing and astounding that you are the one who is willing to give us a softened heart, that you take out the hard heart that we have and you're willing to fight those battles for us. I ask as we leave today and get ready to go about our week that you would embolden us to trust in your word, to move forward in obedience. Father, that you would, as the song said earlier, give us faith to trust what you say. To know that you are good and to trust in that. God, because we really are broken and we cannot fight these battles without you. God, I am so thankful that no matter what battle I'm facing and the battles around me that my friends and family face, that you will hear us, that we have nothing to fear, and that you go forward crushing the head of the enemy. God, help us to hold tightly to that truth and honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.